Everybody, and welcome back to the DustorProds.com comic book podcast. As always, I'm dead. Joining today, we have Birdie. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year, fuckers. Where, where's, the, where's the other part of the New Year? He seems to be missing. Uh, he is, unfortunately, busy this week. Uh, you know, life happens. Things happen. He has work and whatever. And I, I have the equivalent of work being D&D. If so, you say so. So unfortunately we couldn't. Bitch, you ever run a game? You ever run four you ever run four games at once? Not four at once. I have run a game. Caveman asked me to make a Star Wars game for his bachelor party. I'm running fucking I'm running fucking four different games at once, each with like five people in them, and I'm learning fucking two other systems. Yeah. I have problems, man. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> Want to talk about it instead of what we have to talk about tonight? No, we gotta fucking talk about comics because I said one day back in fucking 2011, hey, what if we talk about comics? Yeah, I don't know why you did that. I had nothing better doing. <laughs> yeah, it was either it was either discuss comics with some dudes I never met in New Orleans or finish university. You know, you could do both. <laughs> no, I couldn't. Because I was also talking about, because I was also talking about shit with like twelve other people on nine different fucking podcasts. Because I don't know the meaning of the word oversaturation. Yeah, I suppose. Anyway, so I heard talking about comics and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so over the break, bunch of stuff came out. Uh. We kind of compiled all of our lists, I think, to like just kind of like one big thing for us to choose from for talking about stuff. Because if we didn't, then the show would be like five hours long. Yeah. Which it already has the potential to be every episode. Yeah. Because uh, I try my best, but we are digressive. Yeah. Also, we have the opinions. If you can call it that. I think we well, can. Well, I guess there are opinions that just don't matter. Yeah, totally. That that that's that's the thing. <laughs> anyway, speaking of opinions and not mattering, let's talk about Doomsday Clock. Right. I think I knew this was a thing. Yeah, we've me and Nico have bitched about it to you regularly. Oh, this thing. Okay, yeah, you have talked about this. Yes. This is the uh this is uh, DC attempting to be political again and failing? Uh, not failing so much as just... I don't know if we need this right now. Right. you say, uh, This is the one you said was uh, making you uncomfortable because it's too real. And yeah, you don't need this level of reality in your comics right now. <laughs> it's of the times like it is like it's it's of the times like Watchmen was back in its day. But the times 
they need to be a change in for this to act to this for this to be able to like get the full for, for me to be able for me be for me to be able to like read it and not get impacted on it in a different way than the writers intended. Yeah, fair enough. But yeah, so for those who don't know, this is this is DC's attempt to intertwine the Watchmen universe with the regular DC universe uh, that was set up way back in uh, DC Universe Rebirth. The one-shot mega issue that kicked off the whole DC Rebirth thing that actually did end up doing what it was meant to do and revitalizing DC Comics. Unlike whatever the New 52 was. New 52 was a marketing team in their 40s trying to relate to kids in their trying to relate to kids in their teens. So that bit from 30 Rock where Steve Buscemi dressed as a teenager and said, "What is up, fellow children?" Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was Dan okay. DeDio heading to a high school saying, "What is up, fellow teens? Have you heard of the Batman?" Maybe you're into this whole teen romance Batman, one Superman, Wonder Woman thing. Yo, I heard you kids are into that Twilight. Yeah. Hey, hey, greatest pickup line ever. You're strong. I know. Girl. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, so we this have is... such a low opinion of Dan DeDio. <laughs> well, yeah, he's the guy in charge. <laughs> uh... Shit rolls uphill in this scenario. Anyway, uh, yeah. So, you were, you, yeah, so this you is, wanted to talk about the way too real for you book. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that first issue. Yeah. Yeah. It, got, it was a bit much for me. Okay. Like nothing. Nothing to the extent of like. It, it wasn't. It wasn't like I was watching this like, oh wait, man, way too many parallels or whatever, or like just some weird fucking thing. It was just what they were saying, and it was so much of now that I didn't need that. The second issue is less so than that. The second issue is where things kick off for realsies. So, in the first issue. A new Rorschach, who is black, uh, breaks Mime and Marionette out of prison on the order of Ozymandias, who is attempting to go out into the world, who's attempting to go out into space or whatever and find Dr. Manhattan and bring him back because it turns out that his plan of nuking New York with a telepathic squid alien didn't turn out great. In that everybody found out what happened and everyone wants him dead. Well, yeah, the the Ozymandias' plan, while philosophically interesting and everything, always had that element of, and what's afterwards, dot, 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 profit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, step one, kidnap smart people. Step two, psych bomb. Step three, yeah, step four, profit. It also so didn't help that... It also didn't help that Rorschach like left his journal with that one fucking tabloid. Right, yeah, that guy who interviewed him. Yeah. Yeah, that happened. Anyway. 
Oh, yeah. So that whole thing fell to shit. So he decided to go out into the world and try to find – he decided to go out into the fucking ether and find Dr. Manhattan. And he needed um, Marionette and Mime a a, a, a a costumed criminal fucking pair. One of whom never speaks and ha- and only mimes actually having equipment, but apparently, but apparently can like generate equipment from his mind or something. I haven't been able to get the read on that. Like when he, like when, when they go to like to when they're breaking out of prison, they need to go get their equipment and stuff. They go to lo- they go to a locker and mime reaches in and pu- and pulls out nothing, but is acting like he's holding a gun. And then later in the second issue. He mimes pulling a lockpick out of his fucking mouth and then actually picks a pair of handcuffs. Okay, maybe it's like a, a thought a thought construct thing and like miming helps him create a big and strong enough thought construct to actually do what he needs to. Yeah, th- that's what I'm thinking. But it is so goddamn weird that that's the case because I thought one of the big things with Watchmen was that there weren't really superpowers of that kind until Dr. Manhattan showed up. Yeah, I don't I don't know about that. I mean, it, the world of Watchmen is politically charged and philosophically interesting, but never made much sense to me. Yeah, that's fair. And just... <laughs> I've always respected Watchmen. It's never been my favorite Alan Moore story. I don't know what would be my favorite Alan Moore story. I would have to think about that a little bit. But Watchmen was always one of those things that I appreciated but always felt was kind of unapproachable. Because a lot of the the meaning behind the characters was lost on me. Because I had, at the time that I read Watchmen, I had no experience with those Charleston characters that he based a lot of this on. Yeah, yeah, Watchmen is something that is you kind of need to be into comics in order to really get Watchmen. But I guess I, I guess I should really talk cuz like my actual favorite Alan Moore thing is something else you need to be really into comics to fully get and that is Miracle Man. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not like he hasn't disappeared up his own asshole before. I mean, a story I had forgot I had forgotten that he worked on that I respect more now that I remember who the artist is for it, uh, Promethea, which is about a character becoming the goddess embodiment of literature <laughs> and imagination. <laughs> oh, and it's drawn God. by J. H. Williams the third. Oh man, that that would be gorgeous. Yes. Oh man, that oh god, his fucking the way the way he makes fucking panel layouts that fits Alan Moore so goddamn well. Yeah, and as far as I can tell, this is the only thing they've ever worked together on. It's the and it's the it's one of the Alan Moore properties very few people have ever heard of. It's not League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. It's not Watchmen. It's not uh, Miracle Man. It's something no one talks about anymore. Yeah, I never even heard of it. Yeah. So I might have to pick it up again and read it at some point. It's been a long time. Yeah. So anyway, Doomsday Clock, issue two, uh, starts off with fucking Promethea. Wait, sorry, not Promethea. Os- <laughs> Ozymandias. <laughs> yeah. Ozymandias, Rorschach, uh, Mary, Mime and Marionette. 
Uh, they're all hanging out in in Night Owl's underground lair, working on Archie, trying to get him back up and running. Archie is his, uh, I believe it's his, yeah, it's the owl ship. Right, that thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the equivalent of the Blue Beetle bug ship. Is they eventually get that up and running with uh, Osmandius having put in some shit that is meant to track Dr. Manhattan. They hit the button. As soon as he hits the button, um, a missile goes off at Vite International Headquarters, killing all the processor outside as well as knocking the ship potentially off course. Potentially not. I don't know. It's bullshit science. Who, who the fuck knows how it works? At which point they crash into Gotham City. Which itself is in the middle of a fucking huge scale riot because nobody wants Batman there anymore. Okay. Yeah, it's the whole thing. Is it like a serious take on like the Lego Batman where everyone's just sick of his shit and and Commissioner Barbara Gordon's going, we do not need a grown man karate chopping the homeless people in a Halloween costume. (laughs) Uh, I am... I'm looking that up right now, again. Because <laughs> it is incredibly wordy. Okay, so it's because of something called the Superman theory. Oh, God. <sighs> whenever, whenever DC uses that term, I immediately groan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because it's... It's usually an indication of the kind of storytelling related to DC that spawns shit like Nightwing the New Order. <laughs> oh, God. That fucking book. Like, when, like okay. In, when Marvel talks about characters who have, like, too much power and too much freedom to do with, what, with it what they want... It makes a little bit more sense because you have more out-of-control characters like the Hulk or the X-Men to deal with. So that And there's a lot more of like the political commentary shit. In DC, they're mostly talking about like the icons. Like Superman or Wonder Woman or Black Adam and whatnot. And it seems a little hypocritical. A little pointless to talk about it since the entire state of stability in the DC universe is pretty much contingent on Superman, the Justice League, and whatnot. Yeah, like, every time they bring it up, it is... Every time they bring up this idea of, like, oh, would the world be a better place without these fuckers? It's like, dude, fucking... What the fuck are you doing? Like, I've, I've always joked, or, like, half-joked, about how every major change DC makes in their universe lasts about six months before they refer back to the status quo. Yeah. When they do these stories, it's even more so because it's never going to fucking last. Yeah, but when all because even more than Marvel, where the Hulk's been gone for a while, and while I hate what happened with the Hulk overall, it has its merits. Yeah. To, to all of almost all, very few of DC's marketable characters are not somehow super powered Ubermensch type characters. Even the females. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's like, been, okay, you have, that's been you DC's have whole shtick. Yeah, you have Batman and the Bat family. Okay, you have Green Arrow. Okay. 
But then you've got Flash, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Superman, Martian Manhunter. I mean, Jesus, I, I just hope Mar- DC never does a complete xenophobe story again, because when DC does those, it sucks. <laughs> yeah, and like, and like you mentioned, like, you mentioned the Bat Family and Green Arrow and stuff, like, both Batman and Green Arrow are both uber billionaires who are able to afford anything they could ever want ever. Yeah, they have... Yeah, I thought I meant like physical powers, but yes, they also and, have money. And power. Batman <laughs> is also the perfect human. Yeah, <laughs> but he's not the Superman, but he is the Ubermensch. <laughs> exactly, he is. He is the physical peak at every age. His brain is able to absorb, internalize, and fucking rep- replicate pretty much everything he ever tries to learn. He is a master of literally everything. Yeah. And his kids are various aspects of himself. Yeah. Which is why I I'm not going to read it cuz I I'm still kind of iffy on the Justice the new 50 the Rebirth Justice League book, but I kind of like the idea of this current storyline being kicked off by Batman making a colossal mistake because he's human. <laughs> uh yeah. Yeah, that actually is that is pretty all right. <laughs> So anyway, yeah, so reading a, little, reading a little bit into it, turns out this takes place in the future. Doomsday Clock does. It takes place about a year okay. ahead of where the That's... story is. Which I didn't know, so like, fuck me, I guess. I'm having trouble caring even more now, but keep going. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, so they all land in, uh, so, the, so the Watchmen people, they land in Gotham. Um, Osmandius locks up Mime and Marionette. Uh, Ozymandias and Rorschach head out in different directions. Uh, Rorschach, for some reason, he ends up at fucking Wayne Manor. Where he goes inside and eats Batman's breakfast. And I mean that literally. Alfred left him out some pancakes and Rorschach eats them. I eat your pancake! Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Ozymandias goes and tracks down Lex Luthor. Okay, that'd be an interesting conversation. <laughs> yeah, and it's, there actually is there actually is kind of a funny line in this where, where like Osmandius with his little pet cat, uh, they they go they sneak into they break into Luther's office, and in a cutaway he in a cutaway Osmandius explains what he did. Then when they cut back, Luther's like, like if you're the smartest man in the world and you need me and you need me to explain why that plan of yours wouldn't work i would hate to see what the dumbest man in your world looks like <laughs> which like yeah that's that's a decent line yeah then somebody shoots at him turns out it's the comedian uh, okay he's alive yeah okay then come back to Rorschach, who is running, <laughs> who's doing color commentary on the Batcave, and then meets Batman. To which he, to which he gets mad at Batman for not being edge lord enough for him. Yeah, and I, I can already tell I'm probably not going to like this story going forward. Like it's like we're two issues into a twelve issue story, and I'm already like. Mm. Because, so for those who don't know, like, like we mentioned earlier, the Watchmen characters were all based off a series of Charlton Comics characters. Charlton Comics was a 
was a comic company that was around in like the 30s and 40s uh, that eventually ended up being folded into DC, and that's where a lot of DC, that's where some DC characters come from. Specifically, uh, Captain Adam and the Captain Adam, the Question, and Blue Beetle. Specifically, Ted Cord. Yeah, the argue if you. I go back and forth on which one I like better because I like Jaime Reyes and Ted Cord for different reasons. Yeah. One of the best Blue Beetles. Yeah. And yeah, and so... <clears throat> the parallels the, the parallels they're drawing are Ozymandias is Luther, fucking Rorschach is Batman, and... and uh, Dr. Manhattan is Superman. Yeah. Those are the parallels that's going to be drawing. And that's not the story I want. Yeah, well, I mean, okay. I don't think when Alan Moore created Watchmen, he wanted to, like, have a story that would then point out, see, see, this is what I was going for. And even then, this is not what Alan Moore was going for. No, it wasn't. This is what DC bastardize his idea into yeah and i i know it's stupid i know it was a stupid idea to have hoped like this would be a fucking like 52 style story where it is hey this huge world world shattering shit is happening and batman superman can go fuck themselves if not it is hey watchman is popular Let's pair them up with our most popular characters because, you know, there are parallels. You know, because we're smart. Yeah. And, like, it's not horribly written or anything. And it's not, and, like, it's really well drawn. Uh, fucking art dude. Name escapes me. Uh, Gary Frank. Dude's a really good artist in this. And it, oh, yeah, it, no, Gary it Frank works. is a good artist. And it and it fucking works. Like a lot of the shit that he draw he's drawn works. Like there's a kind of cool visual we get near the beginning of the issue where like like they're talking where like a uh, Lucius and Bruce are talking about, hey, Batman's fucking garbage. And it cuts to an image of the bat signal in the sky, at which point the at which point like two eyes light up in the fucking bat signal, and then, and then Archie comes fucking busting through the clouds, destroying the bat symbol. I liked that progression of panels. It was a decent visual, but like, fuck Batman, man. Just, I, I kind of want the question. I want Vic Sage back, man. I want real shit. And hell, Ted Cord is in this. Like he is alive and they're doing stuff now. Just fucking, why? I know why, but, like, why, man? Uh, it's weird, because even though DC, I like much better than Marvel right now, they still, some of their, they clearly have not completely expunged the people who made the bad decisions that led to the worst parts of the new 52. It's just, they are much quieter now for the most part. Yeah. They only really come up when the big picture stuff happens. Yeah. Which is weird because the overall like watchman thing with like the button, that's actually not bad. Yeah. The button was solid. So I don't, I just don't know why this 
this seems like a weird sidestep or a backstep compared to everything else DC is doing with Rebirth or with the Watchmen characters specifically. Yeah. And ultimately I can't I can't see a point to this. No, I was I I never when you told me what this was, I never thought there was going to be a point to it. It's like, hey, you know, like, Watchmen is still one of our biggest properties ever. Let's cash in on it. But why do they think to cash in on it like this? Why would they think this would be able to be cashed in on? I don't know. Why did Marvel make Civil War 2? Why did DC make just Dick Grayson the New Order? Why did Injustice 2 turn Wonder Woman into a feminazi slut? We will never know the answer to these questions, Dead Man. They will haunt us because we read them. I need an expose on this. I need like five years from now when the fucking people involved in this are far enough away from it that they can give their honest, real opinions on it. Okay. Because if you ask anybody, if you ask anybody at like at like DC or anybody involved in this book, what's happening, they will give you some fucking manicured fucking bullshit answer that a PR department told them to say. Because the book's happening. They need to, be, they need to sell it. Nobody, nobody who's fucking making this book is going to come out and say, look... I don't know what the fuck anybody at the top of the at the top of the fucking food chain was thinking with this thing. It just seems like a retarded idea, but they pay me, so I'm going to go along with it. Nobody's going to yeah. say that. Yeah, this has to be on the level of like uh like decades later when um Schwarzenegger when Schwarzenegger did an exposé about working with James Cameron and he thought that working with the he thought the guy was a genius but working with the man was a nightmare. Exactly. So in 45 years, when I'm the only one left on this website, and I finally get an interview with somebody in, in a position of power at DC Comics, it'll be, it'll be my first one ever. Wouldn't it be weird if you were hired to work for DC Canada? Uh, I would. I would very much say thank you, but no thank you. <laughs> Too much of my life is spent shitting on DC books to be able to work for them. Hey, Bendis shit on DC for years, and he's not working for them. Yeah, but that means he's going to stop shitting on DC. Fair enough. I will never stop. Can't stop, won't stop, motherfuckers. <sighs> yeah, I just, I do not understand why this book is, where this book is going, and who said yes to this. Which is a really, which is a really big fucking shame because at the start of this, when this shit was beginning to get kicked off, it was like, oh, this is stupid. And then it slowly grew into an idea that I could get behind. Like, like fucking the first, first story, Rebirth, DC Universe Rebirth. I read that, was surprised. And I was like, oh, that's stupid. Then I began like reading more about what they what they actually set up for this stuff and read the button and actually started getting behind the idea. It seemed like they had a direction they were going with this and they had talented, smart people behind it. Then I start reading it and it is so hard trying to capture what Watchmen did and just missing the mark because you kind of can't hit the mark again on something like Watchmen. No. Watchmen was of a time and of a place that those characters don't really work outside of. Yeah, and even outside of that time and place, 
it was one of those Alan Moore had to get this out. He got it out. He was never really intending anything else to happen with it. So no, he he wrote a story beginning to beginning middle and end, and that was it. Yeah, and it's, and also one, what a lot of those books. It's another one of those times where uh, it feels like the original intent of the writer was misinterpreted massively. Like say what you will about Frank Miller now, but when he wrote the dark Knight returns a lot, it it's pretty easy to see that as a parody of grim dark, <laughs> but then everyone thought, Oh, this is brilliant. We should do this. He's like, Oh God damn it. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, have you seen the, the movie Bob special really that bad about Batman V Superman? Yeah. That's what I was actually referencing. That's <laughs> that, uh, Zack Snyder was just convinced that the Uber... It's like Zack Snyder was a, a mid-90s image fan, basically. Exactly. And he took that to the mainstream DC. Which was never a good idea. No. No wonder he called Dan Jurgens. <laughs> that movie still depresses us. It, it will never escape. We will never escape it. Until the day comes where we, A, stop caring about movies, and B, stop caring about comics, that movie will haunt us. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. Anyway, anything else got to say about that? No, not really. I think right. I think issue three is going to be just a... There's like a 30-page-long fight sequence between fucking Lex Luthor, Ozymandias, and the comedian, a.k.a. a dude with a gun, and then new Rorschach v. Batman. Okay. I don't... I. We have these huge super. We have these huge fucking super shits, and like Batman v Rorschach is interesting, but not via a fight. No, that's, that's <laughs> it's, it's, again going back to Batman v Superman. The interesting thing about comparing Batman and Superman is not who would beat each other in a fight; it's comparing their ideologies in regards to criminal criminology and justice yeah exactly and that is something that i would actually wouldn't mind seeing but we're never gonna get that so fuck it we're gonna they're gonna punch each other until one goes down yeah and at this point i feel like it's even odds on who wins yeah meanwhile the other fight is i'm the smartest man in the world no i'm the smartest man in the world well i'm a man with a gun And I just can't see the next issue being anything but a disappointment. Hmm. So yeah, that's that. Yeah. Well, Dead Man, if um, timely discussion of real-world politics in comics is depressing you, how about I make you feel better by talking about something really dated? Oh, boy. <laughs> So, let's talk about Nightwing. <laughs> yes, let's. <laughs> so, I'm going to have to get this out of the way first. I can't tell for sure who's responsible, but I might have to thank... Okay. 
the Nightwing costume, which is the jumpsuit with, like, the blue bird around the chest and up the back and on the arms, you'd say that, and down on the arms with the blue part, you'd say that's pretty iconic, right? Yeah. Like, when most people think Nightwing, they think of that costume. Yeah, when I think Nightwing, I think some variant of Black Leotard with a blue bird on it. Yeah. Greg Land created that. Aww. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> and now you see the place I'm in where I have to say, Thank you, Greg Land. This costume is amazing. And a lot of people have done it better than you since. Oh, so man. <sighs> Greg Land? <sighs> Fucking really? Yeah. The first few issues of the Nightwing series where it was introduced were drawn or penciled by Greg Land. Ah, fuck. <laughs> fuck. Shit. Fuck. Anyway, let's get back to doing what makes us feel better and shitting on Greg Land. Because, yeah. um... <laughs> Alright, so... How, hey, in his reference folder, how many different how many different photos do you think are covered in jizz? <laughs> See, that's the thing. People have said this before, and reading these first few issues of the Nightwing series, it, it's true. When Greg Land isn't tracing, he's just a bad 90s artist. Yeah, I, I really want to see, like... I have to assume that somewhere in his fucking files or whatever, or somewhere in his fucking catalog, is some misprint or something that something that got snuck in. Where what are the reference photo he used? Like 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 some like you look at somebody's face, there's you see like this weird little like splotchy side on them or something, and it turns out one of the reference photos he traced over that he didn't actually go out and erase out was just a face, <laughs> just a face covered in fucking semen. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Be it his own, be it somebody else's, I don't know. Yeah. But this 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 idea that's that's somewhere out there, there's a fucking comic issue where some lady has just a part of her face dripping off because he forgot to Photoshop out the fucking semen when he goddamn traced it. <laughs> just yeah. it's bound to have happened. But yeah, um the So the series definitely improved after it's after it switched to the second set of writers the writer was always Dennis O'Neill who was a good writer he's worked on Batman before this he worked he uh, did one of the best um Rachel Ghoul stories Night of the Demon um and Chuck Dixon also helped him a lot on this before they went on to before he went on to do the original Birds of Prey a few years later, which is another thing that unfortunately Greg Land started on, and the book got much better once Greg Land was no longer drawing it. Well, but I'll give this it. to Greg. He knows which person to hitch his fucking horse to. Yeah, apparently so. Actually, that, believe it or not, Nightwing number one, where he created the costume, was one of was his first published work for DC. Jesus. That must have been some fucking. That is, jeez, that is that is an insane career trajectory. Just, just hitting the hitting. career trajectory. Just, just like, you, you're like your first thing with the company. Boom, you make one of the most iconic fucking costumes of all time for the company. Then just shit yourself. 
But anyway, once the, the art be, got much better. It'll be like a gymnastic routine where it's like it starts out, <laughs> just does like some fucking perfect like four, like tens across the board. Then his next routine, he comes out and just fucking sticks his finger up his ass and starts screaming. <laughs> I did not realize how much this was going to psychologically hurt you. <laughs> it's great goddamn land, dude. <laughs> That costume is so good. And it's Greg Land. <laughs> I love you, Gut Nightwing. But Greg Land. <laughs> That's basically what it is. Like like I haven't like I have not unfor- I've in my time I have not gotten a chance to read the like Chuck Dixon Nightwing, the Chuck Dick the Chuck the Chuck Dick Dixon, Dennis O'Neill Nightwing stuff. Okay. The like OG Nightwing shit. I haven't got a chance to yeah. read it. Well, you see, that's what that's the reason. I, that's why I said I was felt a little ashamed that I gave money to Greg Land because I've been I've been exploiting the shit out of DC, re-releasing a lot of their old series in big collections to try to get caught up on stuff I really liked. Uh-huh. And I've always liked Nightwing, and I've heard that Dennis O'Neill was a great writer for DC back in the eighties and nineties, and I haven't read much of his stuff. But he wrote a lot of iconic stuff, Batman stuff in the 80s and 90s, so I, including this. So I wanted to see it for myself. And yeah, uh, the writing is fine for the most part. It's, it gets better after the initial arc. I think there's a bit of a jump. Because like there's a four-issue miniseries at the start of, that starts that Hello? sort of... Crap, did I... Can you hear me? Deadman? Yeah, sorry, you cut out there. Okay, crap, okay. I think there's a bit of a jump in this series. Like, Dennis O'Neill writes all of it, but there is a four-issue miniseries that sort of, I think, was sold as a way to, like, sell DC on a Nightwing series. Because I don't think he had a solo series before this. He had shown up in other books. Yeah, like he was, I think he was very much, like, he was one of their, like, mainstay characters, but he never actually, I don't think he'd ever, like, gotten his own solo book until then. Yes. But, um, yeah. It, but he... I, I'm hoping I can find it um, in here somewhere. I, I really want to see if I can find the initial appearance of Nightwing at the beginning of it because, oh my god, um, <laughs> you, you want you want to last for the night, Dead Man? Imagine you, you remember the uh, the Nightwing costume he wore in the '80s. Yes. <laughs> Imagine it drawn in like gritty nineties look. Oh, honey. <laughs> I'm trying to find it. It's not coming up in like an individual issue. I want to find the image so bad. But let me see if I'm gonna keep looking. But yeah, okay, so the writing of it is fine for the most part, but the part. Let me put. Okay, let me uh, ease your pains a little, Dead Man. The series gets a lot better when Greg Land when Greg Land is no longer working on it. Yeah, I, I figured. Like not just art style wise, but like I, I think Greg Land must have been so '90s that he gave Dennis O'Neill ideas, like '90s ideas for a story, because <laughs> this feels like a GI Joe episode. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so it starts with um, with Nightwing 
uh, foiling the kidnapping and potentially murder of a woman by some douchebag. And he apparently had called Alfred ahead of time when he found the guy and told Batman to show up but not do anything because he wanted to prove he was competent enough to be out on his own and then say, I'm quitting being Nightwing. Because sure. Yeah, of course. (laughs) And first thing he does once he quits being Nightwing is go see the woman he saved as Nightwing and say, hey, I'm Dick Grayson. I don't know if you remember since you were knocked out, but I was one of those guys who helped you back at the the, uh, alley. Maybe you want to go out for coffee or something? Like, like... (laughs) It's like, yo, what's up? I wear tights. Jump around rooftops. Like, save no, one time, thing. motherfucker. He, he, he uses the information he gained as Nightwing, but doesn't let on that he's Nightwing. So he's just... <laughs> he's just trading on his superhero identity to get laid. What's up, girl? fuck. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, this is what it looks like. Ooh, boy. <laughs> that hair... Is kind of what drew my eyes initially. Yeah, it's and a very way early to mid 90s thing. <laughs> the 90s were not kind to people who wore domino masks. <laughs> no. But granted, Greg Land was a bad 90s artist in addition to just being a 90s artist. And this was like early 90s. Because like once it switches over to the new artists... It looks more like what we think of like late nineties hairstyles with like the the bangs and like the cropped off like with some uh, long hair in the back, but not super long. During the Greg Land arc, he has either hair like that or a ponytail so long he should really put like a blade on the end of it so he can be like a hair fighter. God, it's like the Batman suit ate the shocker. <laughs> I knew you'd get a kick out of that. <laughs> Jesus. But anyway, uh, after Nightwing settles into his place post-Nightwing, Alfred shows up to see Dick and hands over some papers that Bruce had been holding on to him since he'd adopted him. And in it is a random letter saying, don't tell anyone what you saw or you will be sorry. And Dick's like, what is this? It's dated like three days before my parents were murdered. It was like, at which point the book goes, wait, I thought Zuko murdered your parents. It's like, there was no actual evidence, just a lot of circumstantial suggestion. Yeah, like, we, oh, we found God, some melted, don't, we found don't, some melted don't fingerprints in the acid that you that was used to burn the ropes. Yeah, it's like, don't, don't do this. Anyway, uh, it turns out the letter is from some Eastern European dictatorship country called Kravia, <laughs> led by a... <laughs> Yeah. That's Your parents going. were murdered by the KGB, Nightwing. And then we meet the head of this guy. The head, the guy the who's head the head of, of this guy. This... Well, I was distracted by the head of the guy who is the head of this country. Because it looks like if you were trying to... you If you, took, if you started with um, Vandal Savage, but then gave him a bunch of facial scars... Cause sure, yeah, fuck it. Yeah, and he's the bitchy ass son of the former president who is about to start ethnic cleansing in his country. He, when he finds out that a Grayson is coming around looking for stuff in Krave, he's like, "This is the perfect time to kill him." So he so sends, wait a minute. <laughs> 
You're saying the guy who looks like Vandal Savage went through a meat grinder. Yes. Is a bitchy little brat boy? Yes. Ah. Uh, <laughs> that's shorting something. <laughs> Just Vandal Savage, like, in everything, including appearance. Is very much a commanding, I am in charge, motherfucker. Dude led a regime once, and it made total fucking sense. Yeah. So this idea that if you scar him up, turning him turning him from, like, you know, commander-in-chief to the guy you send to kill a commander-in-chief... All, all I'm thinking, all I'm thinking of when I when I you know you say that is just like basically Jigsaw from the Punisher going, "I'll kill you to death." Yeah, Punisher Warzone. Yeah, yeah, just just him like Superboy Prime voice. I'll kill you to death. Yeah. So and that's just that's just like tr- that's just like tripping something in my head. <laughs> Yeah, I know it's a, it's a disconnect between from character design versus characterization. I know it's it, it's a hard disconnect to follow. But uh, he then hires an American assassin. Naturally, because you know when you're in another country, hire the guy from yeah, the... who who appears to be like if you crossed a Mortal Kombat character with uh, a car salesman. <laughs> so Johnny Cage. Kinda, but dumber. That's a tough one. Because, like, his thing... Because when the guy, when the douchey uh, head of this country says, I need you to prove your, your worth to me, he's like, hey, is that, secret- that guy over there worth anything to you? It's like, uh, no, he's a secretary. So he just puts his hand over his chest, and that kills him. He's like, I learned a death touch. Kind of useful. Sure. <laughs> At which point he goes to try to kill Dick Grayson and is interrupted. Uh, at which point he says, something about that kid scares me. I'm not going to use my insta-kill death touch on him. Instead, I'm just going to stab him. What? Why? What? <laughs> oh, that guy scares me. I better not use a gun. I'll go in hand to hand. You're one scary dude. Let me put away my fucking chain gun and I'll fight you with this pencil, motherfucker. You don't scare me now, bitch. Because you got a case of lead poisoning. Ha ha! Yeah. Like, who? (laughs) Oh my god, this guy is retarded. I told you. (laughs) How much did they pay him? Apparently too much. Yeah. Because he fails, and after he fails, we're, he's never seen again in the story. So it's like, eh, whatever. <laughs> Dude, the second he's like, hey, I know I was hired to murder this person, but let's not do my instant murder thing. Let me stab him. <laughs> like, what? What assassin? What person <laughs> who murders people for money comes across a target? You were specifically hired for your instant murder thing. <laughs> you said this guy was a good writer? 
<laughs> yes, and he gets much better after this. Because, uh, like, okay, let me, let me, okay, let me explain to you. After this initial miniseries that Greg Land was working on, the story after that is uh, Nightwing moving to Bloodhaven and trying to work out, like, how it is in comparison to Gotham. And the overall story is that, yeah, it's also it's more corrupt, but it's also much more disjointed and confused as a corrupt city than Gotham is because that city's mostly worked itself out as to who's in charge where. And from what so, I've read over the com- over the over the like um run of this conversation, that's all Chuck Dixon. Maybe I, I mean it's still I mean after yeah. the storyline changes, it switches to it. Okay, look, looking, at, checked, looking at the just, credits that I've seen for this stuff. The miniseries that leads into the ongoing is Dennis O'Neill. Then issue one of the ongoing is Chuck Dixon. Okay, maybe, yeah, okay, I'm seeing what you're seeing. So maybe that is what happened where they changed writers. That actually makes sense, more sense to me now that I'm looking at it. But Yeah, because, like, what you're describing... Sounds like a bad 90s story. (laughs) It is... Oh, my God. Yeah. And there's 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 this weird background melodrama thing where Nightwing is saying, "I wish I had a normal childhood with normal family." And he, the woman he is trying to date, has from all apparent appearances a normal family. But it, and so while he's away doing his uh, Nightwing spy thing, she's being abused and beaten by her father's associates, who she is forced to kill by the end. So when he gets back, it's too late, and she's arrested. Not sure how that works, but <laughs> yeah. But there are other good Dennis O'Neill stories, but no, yeah, the Chuck Dixon stuff is much better. So you are right. Once Greg Land and once the second team takes over after Dennis O'Neill and uh, Greg Land, it becomes much better. But I kind of want you to read the the Greg Land miniseries because it is like I didn't know there were any Batman stories that were this nineties, even. Even the, uh, what was that thing where they had the Mecha Batman? Uh, a Nightfall? Night, yeah, even Nightfall was not this 90s. <laughs> That's surprising, given, night, given like, <laughs> Nightfall. What, wait, wasn't Might Nightfall? Might be the most, Nightfall was the one, yeah, uh, night, yeah, Nightfall was the one where Bane broke the bat, and then Asriel took over and became Mecha Batman. Okay, good, Cause, yeah, because, like, Cause like that is fucking. That's luchador wrestler, man. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. Is, that is a super smart luchador coming out of nowhere and fucking hitting Batman with a DDT so hard he put put him in a fucking wheelchair. And then yeah, like- and then the religious zealot becomes a robot. Yeah, but it doesn't have, like, a failed version of scarred up, um, scarred up Vandal Savage telling one of his minions, you failed me for the last time, taking him to the, uh, pit to be, or take him to the death pit to be eaten by rabid rats, or, uh, the, his henchmen who all dress like humans trying to put on Transformers armor. What is this bad guy? <laughs> like he he sound he sounds like look at like looks like one of the most intimidating motherfuckers you ever seen. Acts like super bitch prime. 
hires assassins who had to be flown in from outside his country. The assassins he hire don't use the thing they were hired for. His his head torturer looks either like the Nazi from um, Raiders of the Lost Ark or Zangief. And the and his tort and his death pit is rats. Yes. <laughs> like not even not even dogs. Rats. Yeah. Is it too much to ask for frickin' sharks with frickin' laser beams? Why? <sighs> I'm glad I read this because it was charming, but the Chuck Dixon story is much is much better. And actually, it makes sense that this is written by Chuck Dixon because it reminds me a lot of his Birds of Prey stuff, which is unfortunate because I guess because... I think Dennis O'Neill and Chuck Dixon must have been friends because somewhere in the middle of the Birds of Prey book that Chuck Dixon wrote, Greg Land started drawing it. <laughs> oh! And I wonder if that's one of those Dennis, uh, Denny, uh, Denny going over to Chuck and say, "Hey, uh, can you give my buddy Greg Land some work?" It's like I, I don't know, man. I, I saw his work he did with you and Nightwing. It's like, oh, come on, that got us that got us a lot of money. He created a really iconic design. Come on. <laughs> oh god, I wonder if that's how Greg Land got work for some years. Hey, come on, he made one of the most iconic designs of all time. Come on. <laughs> Up to that point, it, I feel like it was, come on, it's my buddy Greg. He's having hard times, man. You know, comic creators. Then after that, he yeah. rode the wave of yeah. Nightwing. Jesus, Greg Land is the artist equivalent of a one hit wonder. Yeah. And even he, then, he even, though, that, even he he created the design, but it was done so much better by other competent artists. <laughs> like even when Greg Land is not drawing, is like not tracing, he's still at best a bad '90s artist. Like all the shit that people who complain about bad '90s artwork complain about is in the miniseries he worked on. The weird proportions, the chests that look, the bodies, the torsos that look like they have no neck. The distorted, the ridiculously... I'm actually amazed there are no pouches on the Nightwing costume. Because it so looks like... And he has knees. Which is the only thing that he does that uh, uh, Rob Liefeld doesn't do. (laughs) Well, that's because he traces it all. (laughs) Rob Liefeld's drawn freehand. He doesn't know where knees go. Greg Land has no choice but to put in knees. All right. So to sum up, um, Greg Land and uh, to a certain lesser extent, Dennis O'Neill, thank you for an iconic design and characterization for the most part, but let other people do it better. (laughs) I was like, thank you very much for this. Get the fuck out. It was amazing to me how much your brain needed to readjust when I told you Greg Land came up with the design. It didn't help that you just didn't stop. <laughs> just, Greg then came up with a design. Oh, by the way, this thing. Oh, by the way, this thing. Oh, by the way, this thing. <sighs> uh, 
even when I tell you surprising stuff that's not just batshit insane, I still end up melting your mind on occasion. Are you seriously telling me that Greg Land coming up with one of the most iconic superhero costumes of the modern age isn't batshit insane? No, it's surprising. It doesn't it doesn't add up with what you know logically. It's just it makes a weird amount of sense now. It's just you don't want to believe it. Like I okay, I I mentioned this before um there was a JLA storyline where Wonder Woman used the lasso of truth on someone to find out about a crime and she didn't want to believe the truth she got out of it, so she rejected it and broke truth. That's kind of what your brain is doing right now. You're like, <laughs> will not compute. Not does not compute, will not compute. <laughs> it's a logic loop about a sandwich from a, given to a robot who hates sandwiches. <laughs> but yeah, I, I do actually overall recommend the Nightwing series. Either ironically for the for the um, Dennis O'Neill, Greg Land stuff, or unironically for the Chuck Dixon stuff with other competent artists. I think you would actually enjoy it, Deadman. I kind of want your opinion on it at some point because I kind of like Nightwing, even though it, this is one. This is the first time I've heard people tell me he's a man whore. I'd never really seen it before. <laughs> well, I mean, he has the best ass in the DC universe. Yeah, but like, I okay, so like, relationship with like Starfire and uh, Oracle aside, I had not seen any evidence of his man whoring until I read this book. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying that we gets around Bloodhaven? Seems to. Like, there's a point where. A, a woman is turned off by the fact that he's confused by the fact that she's an Asian with a strong Irish, Asian woman with a strong Irish accent. And she just comes back later and like, you know, most guys would try again after fucking up the first time. I'm kind of surprised the hot guy didn't. I thought of this. It's stupid, but I'm going to say it. Trickle down dickonomics. <laughs> and moving on. Anyway. Go on. So, Spider-Gwen. Or in the case of the last few issues, Gwen. <laughs> I'm kind of starting to fall off Spider-Gwen. Okay, why? I couldn't tell you an exact reason. I don't know what it is. It's... Like the the writing ha- the writing is of the level it's always been. It's still solid writing. Artwork is still really good, and the artist is getting a chance to like experiment a bit more with like horror image stuff almost with Gwen in their Gwenum suit. Yeah, I like I like the design they went with for Gwenum. Yeah, Gwenum is a good design. It's not just Gwen. It's not just Venom, but a lady like from the nineties. Yeah. It is actually a fully unique design that took effort and thought to make. Yes. Nothing about this book has actually gotten worse. No. I've just been losing interest. Okay, let me pose a question. It maybe Spider-Gwen has not been getting worse 
but maybe it hasn't done anything new to keep readers coming back. That might be it. Because I've been keeping up with it for the most part, and despite the fact that I thought being a year behind would mean I'd be totally lost reading more recent issues, no. No. Yeah, like... It, uh, it's a It's a lot more of the same. Yeah, which... That can be a problem with ongoing series. Yeah, it also doesn't help that they're, like... Especially with the last few arcs, they've been just doing this universe's version of this old Spider-Man story. Which is not really what I go to Spider-Gwen for. Like, like yeah, it's always there. Like, the, the fucking specter of Peter Parker is always hovering around this series. But your favorite Spider-Gwen stuff is not when they just do a Gwen, a Spider-Gwen version of a, a Peter Parker original Spider-Man story. Yeah, I don't... I'm, I'm not a big fan of reskinned stuff with these new characters. Especially when the new characters were introduced as being new characters. Yes. Like, Gwen being a, being a drummer for that fucking band. That was cool. That has been pretty much entirely dropped. Yeah. Like, the, inter- like the relationship between Gwen and her dad... That was really good. Then they killed her dad. Yeah. Gwen slowly losing her powers and then like trying to figure out what trying to figure out how how to deal with that. That never that's never been resolved really. It's been it was interrupted by the by the Gwenum stuff. Yeah. Her working with fucking Matt Murdock the Kingpin. That again, it didn't resolve. It was interrupted by the Gwenum stuff. So, all of the interesting new stuff that they had out there has been slowly, like, has been slowly, like, drifted, the series has slowly drifted away from all the, like, interesting, unique stuff that it did to just do what Spider-Man does, but with these characters. And it... It was just kind of sad, too. Like, the fucking Bodega Bandit showed up, and I like that guy. He's fun. And then Gwenum yells at him, like, screams at him, and then he runs away or something. And it's just... That whole scene, that whole bit of, like, hey, fucking, the Bodega Bandit's back. He's fucking robbing people. I'm going to take all your fucking apple pies or whatever, asshole. Ha-ha. And then runs away. And then Gwenum just assaults him. I feel like that is a metaphor for what's happening with the book right now. So you, you, it's not necessarily bad, but you as a reader don't like where it's going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the book hasn't been doing anything inherently wrong. But what it is doing is something that I find just kind of boring and I want to get back to the actual yeah. stuff I came to this book for. I will say this. I'm glad they found a a unique take on doing Venom. Like, not just design-wise, like, the storyline surrounding Gwyn and Venom is different enough that they're not just doing Venom again. Yeah. And I appreciate that. Oh, no, yeah, totally. But the problem I'm having is that it feels like she's still dealing with... Prop- the, we, we all complain about the Spider-Man story being completely static and him just dealing with the same shit over and over again because he's the superhero poster boy for arrested development. Oh yeah. But it should not have taken as little time as Spider-Gwen has been out to get to that point. 
No, it shouldn't have. They they had like like I said, they had they were in the middle of interesting things happening. Yeah. And they haven't changed writers at all. It's the same creative team. Oh yeah, that's like if if this was a if this was like a creative team switch up where just in the middle of it like before you get a chance to finish the story art, like Robbie Thomas or whoever the fuck's writing it, just boom, they have to go. That would be understandable. But no, it is either like a decision came down from editorial or they saw the response to that fucking Gwenum variant cover and were like, oh, we need to do we need to do that as soon as possible. Yeah, speaking of which, I saw a book of, like, great female heroes of Marvel and was utterly disgusted that Gwynpool was mentioned alongside, like, Kamala Khan, Carol Danvers, and Gwen Stacy. Oh! It's like, fuck. Oh, that also made me vomit. <laughs> she's not even a character, she's a joke. A joke Ugh. that we're not laughing at anymore, but Marvel Ugh. keeps doing. Oh, God. Was Silk on there? Yeah. Actually, no, she wasn't. I'm sorry. When you said Silk, I thought you meant uh, Spider-Gwen. That's not what I... <laughs> no. No, how dare you? <laughs> my bad. It, it, a mistake in my own head. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I just want Gwen... Um, to, I just want Spider-Gwen to get back to what it was doing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't like, I don't mind the idea of having a different di- Gwenum, di- uh, not G- Venom dynamic in the Spider Gwen books. I just, I, I, I'm with you. I'm like, you're not doing anything with this. At least, not nothing that's really working for me. <laughs> yeah. Which is a shame. Yeah. Hopefully, once Gwenum wraps up, they will be able to get back on track. Yeah, I would I'll like st- that too. I'll stick with it for a little while longer, but yeah. unless they do, do that the, switch it's up. It's weird soon. how um, okay, this is a, a different a kind of a bad example because I don't think this book is bad either. But the Jason Aaron Thor female Thor book is not bad, but I feel like it's gotten stuck in a pattern. Okay. If you do, you disagree with that or um. Not to the same extent as Spider Gwen, obviously. No, but like, like, la- like, but but I will say, the last few issues have all kind of started to bleed together. Yeah, and that's a similar problem I'm having with Spider Gwen. Although Spider Gwen, it's a matter of like lack of compelling ideas, not just that they're just the stories are not clicking anymore. Yeah, as we're, as whereas with this one, it's still a singular idea. That's a good idea. It's just it's taking a bit too long to get where it's going. Yeah, and there's not enough story there to fill the number of issues it needs to to be actually compelling. Like this last issue of the Mighty Thor, I think I think that one was actually a a bit of a breath of fresh air because it stopped things for a second and let like some fucking let some actual advancement happen and set up a set up a big thing to be happening in the next issue. Yeah. Okay. Based on the covers, of the next two issues. But yeah, yeah, I, I get where you're coming from. Just the last few issues have been very much hitting the same beats to the point that I am actually kind of struggling to actually differentiate between the last few issues. Yeah, like once I got to the to the Asgard war with the Shi'ar, I was just like, 
what what's happening what <laughs> oh right that did happen <laughs> you see my point <laughs> i completely forgot about the whole weird shiar god thing <laughs> i was i was talking about like the fucking i was talking about like the the like war of the nine worlds or whatever yeah where everything is on fire and there to be everywhere at once except getting chemo <sighs> anyway, that's all I got. All right. Birdie? <laughs> Sorry, I was t- dog was about to start barking. Okay. I don't want her to do that. Um, okay, so let's get a quick one out of the way since I don't have that much to say about it because it's just random. Sugar shock. <laughs> okay. This is a Joss Whedon joint. Hmm. About a punk rock band who the main character of appears to be delusion. It's like a Harahi situation, except without the ridiculous powers. Because the main character seems to be delusional and imagining all this weird, interesting sci-fi and fantasy stuff happening to her. But weird and interesting sci-fi and fantasy stuff is actually happening to her. <laughs> okay. Like, her drummer is a robot. And yeah, she's just um, kind of blasé um, about it. No, actually, I think, the, I think the robot's the bassist. Oh, is he the bassist? Okay, I was having trouble paying attention during the band stuff. It's a lot, it's very crowded. It's, it's drawn by Fabio Moon, who is a tr- fantastic artist. But I think... I'm going to blame Whedon for this. A lot of the stuff he has has him draw is a little too busy. Like, too much stuff going on in the fore and the background, so I have trouble focusing on anything. Uh-huh. But when you can see what it is, it's pretty cool stuff. I sent you the link. Yeah, look yeah I'm, I'm looking at the preview pages, and, like, the one after the cover, just some amazing lyrics. Yeah. Well, the the character on the the character in the fr- in the foreground of the title of the cover image is the lead singer, and she is the aforementioned delusional character who wants to imagine cool, awesome shit happening that is somehow different from the actual cool, awesome sci-fi fantasy shit that's happening. Like, she thinks she she gets summoned along with her band to another planet to take place in intergalactic gladiatorial games, and she thinks it's a battle of the bands. <laughs> So, so the stuff in the preview pages is just her own delusions? No, that's actually happening, but it, like for some reason she is complaining that nothing interesting ever happens to her, despite all this weird shit happening to her. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I'm just so, yeah, still this... hung up on those fucking lyrics. Yeah, no, they're not very good. Just <laughs> repeating I'm better than you three times, then saying... I'm not saying I'm rubber, nor did I in any way suggest your glue. Yeah, you know, that punk sounds rock. like a, that sounds like Joss Whedon attempting to parody bad like pop punk rock music. And I guess it could be worse, but it's just a lot of times sometimes when Joss Whedon thinks he's being funny, I don't think he's very funny. I think this is one of those. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, uh, 
I mean, there are other points where he's funny, like uh, during the gladiatorial games where they're, the rest of the group is trying to convince the lead singer that this is not Battle of the Bands. Uh, a giant guy with a laser sword cuts her robot bassist in half, and she starts doing the you will be avenged thing. And he's like, y- you know, you could just get my legs. Like, they're right over there. And, like, he is doing this as she's doing the speech. So, like, every time she says something, he's like, legs right over there. Like, five feet that way. Man, nobody respects really... a bass player. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, there's other weird shit. Like, uh, somehow the bassist... Um, gives her the ability to have her sad song affect all cultures across time and space as a way to stop the games so that they can survive. <laughs> and it Sure. Okay, and, th- and there's this weird background thing where like the drummer keeps telling this groupie she's with that you are not allowed to talk unless I'm having sex with you, and even then no. It turns out that such ca- character is an escaped alien queen who fled her planet when the got when the said groupie wrote her poetry, which is akin to like a sex crime on her planet. <laughs> sure. You see, you see my problem with this, like kind of like the title itself. You feel like Joss Whedon had a sugar high, wrote all this down, and didn't coherently plan it out afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, points to Fabio Moon for making it engaging to look at, but Jesus, we focus. <laughs> You're a forty-something-year-old man, I think, or fifties possibly. You have kids. You should not be acting like an eight-year-old on the sugar high. <laughs> you certainly should certainly should not be writing like you are. I mean, to be fair, he is going through some things. Yeah, I know. I know things entirely of his own making, but still things. Yeah. <sighs> but yeah, I mean, this is this was entertaining. I wouldn't call it good, but it was entertaining. Okay. All right. So you go ahead. All right. Back in a sec. <sighs> so since he's gone, um, talk about Jughead the Hunger. Just because by the things I've talked about, I kind of want him here for. But anyway, Jughead the Hunger. So you might remember remember, uh, we talked about this book a little while back when the one-shot came out. It's the latest series in the Archie horror imprint of comics where it's just, hey, what if we take Archie characters and put them in horror situations and make them, like, real? Uh, In this, again, for those who remember, uh, Jughead is a werewolf. In the one-shot, he murdered loads of people in Riverdale. Uh, before eventually escaping, only to be only to begin being hunted down by Betty Cooper, werewolf hunter, and she's dragging Archie along with her because Archie wants to. You know, Jughead's his buddy. So yeah, of the uh, of the current ongoing series, two issues come out at this at time of recording, uh, and both of them are pretty good. I've been I've been digging this so far. Uh, it has been. It's been interesting, to say the least. Uh, issue one had Jughead uh, working at a... He was working at a fucking uh, circus. Just trying to keep... Just trying to, like, keep out of the public, keep away from people. Or the, or the very least, like, get, get, find, find a place for him to be able to be without 
hurting people. You know, trying chains and shit. Various things to keep himself from fucking killing people. But he did. He ended up killing people. And Betty and Archie are hot on the trail. Uh, eventually being joined up by Betty's cousin, Bo, who teaches, who begins teaching Archie the tricks of the trade. How to fight, how to kill, all that shit. And that stuff's interesting. The more interesting side of the story for me, though, is back in Riverdale, where turns out Reggie, you know Reggie, uh, he survived being mauled to death by fucking Jughead in the one shot, and is now a werewolf. And he's teamed up with Veronica to basically run the town. Uh, the thing that we get uh, started off with, uh, w- at least with their whole plan thing, is going to the principal of the high school where, eh, sorry, sneeze coming on. Yeah, they go to the principal of their high school and Reggie just werewolves out and tears them the fuck to shreds while Veronica is just sitting there watching, giggling. Looking like a fucking vampire. Because the way that she's drawn and colored, it is... Everything is, everything is in kind of the standard uh, Archie horror monochromatic kind of thing. And so her skin is very much just like a very pale bluish gray. But her clothes are fucking just red. And in the language of fucking semi-monochromatic horror shit, red means vampire. So she looks kind of like a vampire in this to me. I don't think she is though. That would be a would be a weird twist. Well, we are not immune to weird twists on this show. No, we aren't. But I feel like in Jughead the Hunger, having having Veronica turn out to be a vampire. Just apropos of nothing. It, w- would that jump the shark for you? The shark who had his own band? It wouldn't jump it wouldn't jabber jaw anything. But it would be a. It would feel, I feel like it would be a bridge too far. Yeah, and then uh, he becomes the head of his own uh, zombie version of Josie and the Pussycats. Exactly, or like the producer of them, or something like that. That'd be the direction they'd go at that point. Like hell, a and weird. Then, th- I'm. I'm just gonna let you know. What in this series about Betty Cooper, werewolf hunter, trying to hunt down serial killer, hu- serial killer werewolf Jughead? The weirdest thing is the fact that Archie can throw a punch really well. Okay. Yeah, there's a bit in the second issue where he's like sparring with Bo, Betty's cousin, and he's like ducking and weaving, dodging all fucking Bo's punches, then punches him in the face so hard he knocks a tooth out. And like Bo is like, imagine one of the fucking Hell's Angels. That's basically Bo, just like fucking bandana with some with some kind of fucking flag on it. Big ass sunglasses, leather vest, ripped to shit, and then Archie goddamn Andrews knocked out one of his teeth. Then Bo hands him a pistol. Okay. It's really weird seeing Archie with a fucking gun. Well, I kind of did give, aside from like the mainstream series, Whenever Archie stuff goes off on these weird tangents, I've just given up on explaining why any of it's happening. Because as weird as a lot of this sounds and strange, if you look at the original Archie comics, at least it's not Riverdale. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, this all works. 
Yeah, it's, it's like, just, it's weird, but it makes sense. It's not like Riverdale where everything's just incoherent and bizarre. Yeah, like, like the, the, the stuff with the Archie Horror brand has a lot of internal logic. It has an internal logic that the series follows, that everything kind of adheres to, and that logic makes sense. As opposed to Riverdale. Which is like, oh god, why? Yeah, I haven't watched any of the second season. But I have watched I'm videos about the second to. season. And one of those one of those videos was about how Kevin, you know, the openly gay and widely accepted character from the first season, he has to go out to the woods to fuck. Because nobody in town accepts him for being gay. Uh, also, Betty. It, just all the shit happening with Betty. Like, I thought Betty was a bad idea from everything I knew about her from the first season, so I don't know what they're doing that could make it worse in season two. But. Going deeper with Dark Betty. Apparently. Of course. Uh. Anyway, um... Oh, man. I'm just, I'm just imagining... I'm just imagining, like, when, when the Sabrina series actually kicks off on Netflix, they just slowly begin working that in, and it becomes, like, some weird, like, Dark Betty, Dark Willow kind of situation. The series just turns into Buffy. But, like, shitty Buffy. Oh, that'd be so stupid. I'd love it. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, Jughead the Hunger. It's solid. And it seems to be the only Archie horror series that has a consistent release schedule. <laughs> so is that a good thing? I'd say yeah. Like I've 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 read all the Archer I've read all the Archie horror stuff. And I really like it. Okay, but I, what I mean is like is this one being the only one with consistent release schedule the good thing? Or is uh, it you just mean it's a good thing that one of them has a consistent release schedule? It's a good thing one of them is coming out. Okay. Like I want more Afterlife with Archie. I want more Chilling Adventures with Sabrina. But if we're not getting that, then I have to settle for Jughead the Hunger, and Jughead the Hunger is all right. Yeah. So I'll take what I can fucking get. Archie. You fuck. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so running from, um, a surprise of a bad person working on something really iconic and great. I'm, now I'm going to have to try to uh, take a shot at what many people consider to be a classic story. Um, Superman Annual number 11. Okay, which one's which that? Doesn't, which doesn't mean anything to you until I say the words for the man who has everything. Right. Yeah. The classic Alan Moore story, uh, a lot of people consider it one of the best Superman stories ever written. Uh, It was adapted into a really great Justice League episode by Bruce Timm. It was also adapted into a semi-all-right episode of Supergirl. Yeah, which is just about every episode of Supergirl. (laughs) That's fair. Yeah. Like, there are good to potentially great episodes, but the series on the whole is kind of in the same zone as everything else from the CW at this point. It's like, eh, it's all right. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking forward to the first superhero show about dads. 
Oh, is that Black Lightning? Yeah. Okay. I, I didn't know what that show was going to be about. I just knew it was Black Lightning. I thought that was an odd choice, but because like, yeah, you know, you could do set static, but I guess that would just be more of the same, really. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is actually more taking, urban. Yeah, this is actually stepping out of this is actually stepping out of the comfort zone into bold new territory by having the series not be about a twenty something, but be about a forty something. Yeah, with two twenty something daughters. Yeah. All right. So. I'm not sure if I have to tell anyone at this point who would listen to this podcast what the story for the man who has everything is, but for uh, the fo- sake of follow for the, the sake rule. of just follow, just follow the rule, assume everybody's podcast is there first. Yeah. So for the sake of argument, um, Batman and Wonder Woman go to the uh, Fortress of Solitude to celebrate Superman's birthday. Um, when they get there, they find Superman on the floor, passed out with a weird monster looking thing around him yeah a plant. At which yeah at which point um mongol one of superman's simultaneously most annoying but also most hilariously dumb enemies shows up i guess to like take over the fortress of solitude now that superman has been taken care of and he can conquer the universe um from there, we go into the minds into the mind of Superman to see what he's seeing in his perfect utopia that the Black Mercy, which is what the weird alien plant parasite thing around him is showing him, which is a version of Krypton where Krypton was never destroyed. He was built up like everything was perfect in his mind. Okay, so he eventually has to decide to like break from the from the reality that the black mercy is showing him and it causes him such pain that he's so angry that he takes it out on Mongol. Yeah. And it ends with Mongol having the uh, plant thrown at him and him being trapped in his own memory. Okay. So the basic storyline is still works obviously because oh, yeah. it's, it, it's one of my favorite justice league episodes ever. And yeah, because it's because it's a goddamn amazing episode. Yeah, there's some bit tweaks from that uh, from Alan Moore's original that uh, Bruce Tim and the writers that episode made that I think were for the best. Uh, one, um, given the timing, I guess it makes sense, but it annoys me that he's in it. Jason Todd Robin is also involved. <laughs> What does he do? Does he try to strip Mongol's spaceship? No, he actually is the one who... Um, okay, so if you remember the story from the Justice League Unlimited episode, after um, Su- if Superman is freed from the Black Mercy, it goes on to Batman. Yeah. That still happens in this, but instead of Wonder Woman being nursed, being torn to shit by Mongol coming in trying to wrench it off him... Jason finds a pair of giant glove, alien glove tech things in Superman's Fortress of Solitude and puts them on so that he can have the strength to pull off the Black Mercy. Well, that's stupid. <laughs> also, why did Batman, why did, they're going there, to, they're going there to like celebrate Superman's birthday. Why would, why would Batman bring his kid? Um, based on, I mean, I don't know that much about the Jason Todd Robin era. It's not something I'm particularly fond of when I think about it that I, it's, but it's, it was there. Give, uh, given given what I know about that time, nobody was fond of that era. 
<laughs> Based on uh, context clues, this seems to have been almost immediately after Jason Todd became Robin, so he was being like introduced to the Justice League. So he thought he might as well knock out two birds with one stone. Hey, Superman, happy birthday. Here's a card full of cash, and here's my new kid. Yeah, that seems to have been the idea. And even when he was Robin, I don't like Jason Todd, because the whole time he's talking to Wonder Woman, the, he, it's misogynistic as fuck. He's like, really? I, like, you're saying I'm cold dressed like that? Like, he's saying it in his head, but still, I'm like, oh, come on. Like, <laughs> I know you're What's what you're saying? Boy, I'm cold dressed like this, but you want to go in a fucking swimsuit? <laughs> what the fuck's wrong with you? Get the fuck yeah. out of here. And that's the other I'm major... I'm 10-year-old Jason um, Todd. Fuck you. That's the other major problem with this. Wonder Woman doesn't really do anything in this. <laughs> like, she kind of impotently tries to fight Mongol. But whereas, the, in, I don't know, I guess it's up to a, uh, opinion, and you can disagree with me if you want to. In the Justice League Unloaded episode, she could fight him. It's just, the implication was that as strong as she was, she was still not, like, Mongol is almost, is close to dark side level, just not with the same power set or an intellect. Yeah. So, Like, Wonder Woman is stupid, Wonder Woman is stupid, is, like, stupid strong. She is not god strength. Yeah. So she's not dark side or Mongol level strength. So even though she can put up a decent fight, she was still getting her ass kicked. Yeah, but after after Superman tagged in to deal with Mongol, she still uh, did something of use. Yeah, she but called Batman of, back. Yeah, but because of Jason Todd's presence, she doesn't actually do anything after she gets knocked out and tossed around by Mongol. Other than after the fight is over, she she wakes up and she and Superman make out for a little bit. Wait, she what what? Yeah, she and Superman make out for a bit. They oh. make a joke. They make a joke like, "Why don't we do this more often?" At which point, someone says, "Aunt, eh, too obvious." And I'm like, no, "Oh no, fuck you!" Like I know, right. like I know, you couldn't have the fucking like Wonder Woman Batman fucking implied shit in the comic, like that in the show, but. <sighs> Like, you don't need to do that. Just, Christ. Yeah, and this was pre, um, the revi- revising of the character and the, um, like, the, the, ver- the, a lot of what we know about, uh, Wonder Woman characterization-wise is based post-crisis. on the, um, yeah, post-crisis, the George Perez one, which hadn't come out yet. This was written in, like, 84. Yeah, this is ba- this um, was back, this is back in, like, in the universe where she was still a, once a secretary. Yeah, still wants a secretary, really into bondage, all that shit. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And also, on top of everything else, um, the whole, uh, do you remember that really um, kind of uh, really meaningful gift that Wonder Woman got uh, got him? The, 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 with the gardeners on, on Themyscira grew a new type of rose called the Krypton. Yeah, it turns out Batman did that in this version. So I guess Wonder Woman just showed up with oh wait, no, I remember what she got. She got a a snowball a snow globe version of like the bottle city of Candor. That was her idea of a gift. Oh, that's just that's just bad. Tacky and dumb. <laughs> well, tacky and dumb and also potentially traumatizing. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, hey, remember hey, remember when that city full of your people was bottled? Here's that city in a bottle. <laughs> Now there's snow and water in it. 
Like, it makes way yeah. more sense for Batman to bring cash. Yeah, no. But, I mean... Or failing that, this, failing that, a gift card. Yeah, but clearly, there, a lot of this was still really iconic. Like, um, the image, uh, like, the, when, when Superman says, burn... Or, like, when Mongol says it must have been, like, tearing off your own arm. That's straight from this book. Oh, yeah. So, like, clearly, Bruce Tim looked at the... There was some great dialogue in this, because Alan Moore, even ignoring his other stuff, was still a great dialogue man, if nothing else. Yeah. And so, Bruce Tim pulled a lot from that. I think it's just some of the... Some of... Um, some of the stuff of the times. Yeah, some of the stuff of the times. Speaking of which, uh, another thing... I don't remember how much of the Krypton fantasy stuff i remember i'd have to watch the episode again which i might as well do that anyway because it's a fucking great episode it's but, an amazing um, episode one of the best episodes <laughs> of the series yeah um i don't remember jor-el being like a like a bitter mean old like essentially like a modern version of a republican like someone oh, who he was voted a, for he reagan was a, he, he was essentially what if he was essentially what if pa kent dressed dumber yeah, no, that's not they. What they went with this is that uh, because it, in this version Krypton was never destroyed, uh, Jor-el was disgraced by the science committee, and now he's become like a bitter, mean old um, conspiracy theorist complaining about crime and drugs and whatnot. And like the Black the, Mercy, the Black Mercy puts you in a world of your own fantasy. As Superman's fantasy is, what if it didn't get blown up, but keep everything else exactly the same? Yeah, I, like, I think like, that was. Like, I think I don't know how bitter Alan Moore was at this point in the '80s because he was still working with mainstream comics at this point. But I think some of his bitterness with the world around him was starting to seep in, even at this point. Yeah, this need it works so much better in the fucking cartoon because that was just, yeah, just that was just pure fucking. That was soup. That was the fucking. I have like said, if I, I had to like if I had to make a list like okay someone once made said so they have to make two separate lists when they do best Justice League episodes because they want to separate um the just the main Justice League from the Justice League Unlimited stuff uh-huh. but even then if I was making a list of the entire series this would still probably be in the top five <laughs> this storyline oh yeah absolutely this this yeah. was a this 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 whole that whole series that whole episode was essentially the prime example of why Superman can work. Yeah. Why you can make him a compelling character in him still be a Boy Scout. Which, just as a <sighs> lot of Just League Unlimited stories were really great about kind of having him still be a Boy Scout, but making all the morally wrong decisions, or in the case of, like, the... Uh, the storyline where Lex Luthor was becoming president, him making all of the wrong decisions because of his own personal viewpoints winning out over everyone else's logic. And Count Marvel there just shitting on him. Yep. It's so good. Just that, like, oh, God, it was so satisfying seeing a child say, I'm disappointed in you, Superman. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, we read... Like, we rag on some of Bruce Timm's dumber, like, personal stuff, like we do with Alan Moore, but... End of the day, that with, dude with, did more good with, for these characters with, than everybody uh, did yeah. bad. Like, until very recently, he was untouchable. <laughs> well, I would still slap him upside the face for that fucking Batman Like, the Batgirling stuff aside, and Batman Beyond, yeah, that the, the bat... The, okay, all the Batgirling stuff. 
I'm not. I'm going to hold that again because that. But the Batman Beyond stuff was him continuing on from his stupid decisions from season four of Batman. Yeah, it's, yeah. Basically, he was this untouchable god who like had this Achilles heel in the shape of Barbara Gordon. Yeah. So like, what Barbara Gordon is to Bruce Tim, Wonder Woman is to Injustice. If I could make a comparison, callbacks. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, uh, but I mean, the art is like great 80s art. Dave Gibbons, I don't know anything about this era of, com- but it looks great. I think it's, you'd probably like looking at it and like it's a lot of cool design because I mean, like the interior of the Fortress of Solitude is just innately interesting, even if it's not as interesting as it is in the animation when you see that image of Superman looking up at his par- at the statues of his parents as he's beating the shit out of Mongol saying, do you know what I blank? Yeah. But yeah, no. Um I can see why this is an iconic story. It has been done much like the thing we talked about with Nightwing, it has been done better by other people. Yeah. But yeah, worth checking out at least just for the the icon iconography. And And speaking of callbacks, uh Dave Gibbons also he's the Watchmen artist. That explains a lot. Yeah. <laughs> So you you have an idea of what you're working with then? <laughs> oh yeah, and like looking at the cover, it looking at the cover of that thing. If the art's anything like the cover, yeah, and actually the art's oh. better inside than on the cover. The oh. cover's good, but yeah. And Robin looks so goddamn out of place in that cover. Yeah, no, it's like both narratively and artistically, Jason Todd being in this. I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just like the cover has all this like fucking like near perfect symmetry and everything, and then just yeah. all of a sudden Jason Todd yeah. just there, just balanced yeah, tipping like, the scales. And, and like it's ultimately Jason Todd who stops Mongol because he's the one who throws the Black Mercy at Mongol. I'm like, oh god damn it! <laughs> I know this is mostly worse in like hindsight, but uh. I feel like I feel like that'd be worse then too because like you, they just got that Robin and. And his big thing is, I'm gonna throw this. At, I'm gonna throw this at the big space boy and be be super good. Like that whole thing <laughs> seems like it is just like super yeah. trying to force this idea and that I, Jason Todd's a good Robin. Yeah. And now I need to really go back and read some more George Press Wonder Woman because, dear God, they were shitting on her in the early eighties. Like yeah. there was like a there was like a collection of greatest Superman stories released recently. One of which being Wonder Woman complaining about like. Like sexism within the Justice League to Superman, at which point she starts beating the shit out of him. I'm like, oh fuck off! Oh god! <laughs> greatest Superman stories didn't say anything about being the greatest Wonder Woman stories. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I, I didn't mean to be quite as negative about this as I did because there's a lot. This is still an iconic story, and there's a lot of good in it. It's just the stuff that's of the time. You and I would both. I hate, and you would too. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, but like it, it's it's a comparison thing. Like we we yeah. can't help we can't not compare it to that episode. That episode is so goddamn good. Yeah, like the, okay, let me put that episode is the reason I sought this comic out. So the comparisons are kind of inevitable. <laughs> yeah. Anywho, anyway, dead man. Yeah, so Power Rangers. Uh, Go Power Rangers? Uh, no, Power Rangers, Power Rangers. Mighty Morphin. Okay. All right. Uh, are they still in the spy plot, or have they started the the storyline they're talking about? Uh, they are still in the spy plot. Okay. 
But they didn't introduce a new character, the Wizard of Deception. Oh, I saw that. I'm... Yeah, I've heard worse ideas. <laughs> yeah, they. Yeah, Rita goes and hires him to do something as part of her grand plan. Uh, meanwhile, Finster is still stuck in that fucking box, and I'm really liking what they're doing with Finster's character. Yeah, well, he's he's he's. If I'm not mistaken, he's acting kind of like. Um, this is a weird comparison, like, but like Kevin Spacey from Seven. <laughs> um. Like he's not to the same level of psychopath psychopathy, but he's like he's still he's like, yeah, I mean, I created all these monsters. I'm not working for Rita anymore. I said, fuck it. <laughs> I've got all these monsters. Might as well let them all loose and see what happens. And when the Power Rangers come in trying to get his help stopping, it's like, oh, you'll have to deal with them. But, you know, you'll deal with them. <laughs> Yeah, it's I just being a dick. Yeah, I know, and I'm and I'm liking that. I'm liking this. I'm liking this weird, really dark angle they're taking with Finster. Yeah, well, everything about this is working for the most part. Yeah, yeah. So there's that happening, and meanwhile, at the fucking whatever institute they're at, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, they they finally got the camera shut off and stuff, so they're able to like walk around the facility with that with their helmets off. Uh, Billy is like really getting into working with them. Uh, Trini is as well, but I think that's just kind of because she absorbs some of Billy. That's that's going to be like the big change. I think like to be the big like update for her character is that she is now becoming like more and more like a secondary Billy, which it's something. Uh, meanwhile, there's also the whole storyline happening with uh, Kimberly and Tommy. Yeah. By the way, uh, dick move on her father's part trying to um, utilize her relationship with her boyfriend to try to get her on board with his new fiance. Oh yeah, that was that. Her dad's a dick. <laughs> yeah, like I know, like divorce, difficult time, and everything. But come on, dude. Yeah, yeah. Like there is a <coughs> there's a line you don't cross. You don't your use kids. your kids' relationships for stuff like that. Just that is a kind of a big no no. We don't really have much to say going forward. I just just power is still going good. Power is still going yeah, strong. Like, it, like this is why I'm switching, and I know it's going to be a long time before I read it again because I'm switching strictly to trade only for this because I can't deal with this series week to week anymore, except just like to read it for the show. But like, I I recently uh, have been um, spoon feeding Caveman the <laughs> uh, the the um, uh, Lord Z- uh, Dracon arc. And when he got to the end of it, I he he almost thought I meant the end of the series, and he looked like legitimately depressed. <laughs> I still I still haven't had the heart to tell him that the next trade's not coming out till May. Oh man! Because he read in about two weeks what I read over the course of a year. <laughs> <sighs> Great for him. Bad. Long term, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And actually, speaking of Go Go Power Rangers, I'm still digging that too. Oh yeah, no, I never thought it was bad. I just that's another series that I would have preferred to collect in trade. Speaking of which, um, I don't know if you had do you listen to Matt Frank. Uh, Matt Frank, I don't. 
Okay, Thanks, Matt sir. Frank is um, the writer. He was the artist on Godzilla Rulers of Earth. And he also did um, a variant art cover for one of the GoGo Power Rangers books. Uh, and he what, he what he said recently on a podcast is that uh, the makers of Superman of Power Rangers 2017 really should have just read this <laughs> to get what they what they were trying to go for. <laughs> So what you're saying is we should. What you're saying is we should have followed through with our idea of buying like fucking like thirty copies of the fucking trade, staying outside, going to my Power Rangers, would you do like some literature? <laughs> but outside That's... that guy's house, outside Matt Frank's house, no, no, outside the writers of that movie's house. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. Well, that, which one? There's like six of them. Yes. <laughs> we'll fucking uh... we'll fucking like book a week off, head down to fucking Los Angeles. I just wait. Would it be weird if the first time you and I ever met each other was like if we both went to Power Morphicon? Not really. I feel like that's almost like fitting ever, at this point. Like if we almost got if we got enough money. Granted, Caveman would never forgive me if I went to Power Morphicon without. Yeah, him, he wouldn't. But, but, uh, <laughs> but hey, you you the folks don't can help make that happen by going to patreon.com slash deathstoreprods. <laughs> But yeah, no, like, all of Boom Studio, like, I'm not certain, but Boom Studios Power Rangers stuff might be their best, um, licensed work. Yeah. Yeah, totally. They're they're good for different reasons, but both are awesome. (laughs) Yeah. It is really unfortunate how much I really like the the idea of relationship between Jason and Kim, Jason and Trini. Because I know that's fucking doomed to failure. Like I know it's doomed to failure. You can like it. I just it, my me personally, I just think it's just like I, I go back to what you said when we last talked about it. It's like it would be like if you actually logically thought out what a relationship between Superman and Wonder Woman would be like. Like their first date out, would be like, what do we talk about? <laughs> yeah, and the, uh, <laughs> it'd be like that, if, like uh, breakfast at Tiffany's song uh, if they if they tried to hold their relationship together on something equally minor <laughs> <laughs> like hey we both like kung fu yeah we should date <laughs> it's, I, I, it is, I agree with you it's doomed to fair I just don't think it's all that good idea writing wise anyway it could be maybe I, I don't Ryan Parrott has proven to be a very interesting writer yeah. for these characters so yeah, and I'm willing I, to like I, I'm, I'm liking reading it because I, I feel like I misspoke. I might have misspoke earlier. I probably did because I'm a fucking idiot. But I think I might actually like it because it's doomed to failure. Okay. Like, is this thing that, to me, logically makes some sense? Of so these two people, like, of these you, two, you of you these like- two, it's these two attractive people who meet each other. Get thrown into the situation together, find out they have one or two things in common, and if they were older, then they'd fuck. They'd realize, oh, this don't work, and then be friends. Yeah. Okay, I see what you mean now. Like it, it it's not good to think of it as a relationship, but it might be an interesting ground to mine for some storytelling. Yeah. This this is a this is a story to help strengthen the relationship between these two in a meaningful way that doesn't in, that doesn't include an actual relationship. 
yeah, like the the goal of telling a story about them dating is not for them to end up together. It's to have the experience of them dating prove like, yeah, we we're good friends, but this is this is never going to work. <laughs> yeah. And they both just kind of mutually agree to it and then just agree to be friends and teammates. Yeah. Until she until she gets on that black ass. Word. Because that was weird. I, I <laughs> Anyway, Moving on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Birdie. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Did you miss us? Uh, all mean, right. They, I mean, they might have. Like, our numbers have actually been doing pretty well on SoundCloud. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Um. Okay. Uh. This is going to be... A, I've been meaning to try to read this for a while. Because I've heard so much about it. But I haven't had a chance to. So I picked... I, but I recently just found an issue for cheap. So I read it just to get a sense of the book. Um, I'm, Let's talk about The 99. Okay. Do you know what this is? I think so. This is a story about a organization of superheroes based on the precepts of Islam. Okay, I was thinking of something entirely different. Yeah. This this was a passion project for the creator. Um well, it's actually various this is what it's it's Ubisoft style creators, right? They have a whole bunch of different people who are of the faith and not working together on the project. And it's a whole bunch of different stuff. And I looked at some of the stuff that people who worked on it have worked gone on to work on either before or since. And it ranges the gamut of, like, Abe Sapien to, like, the current Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. book. Yeah. Um, looking at it, it looks like the initial idea was created by somebody named um, Knife Al-Mutawa. I probably butchered that name, and I'm sorry. Yeah, probably. But but that was like concept. I, I couldn't have found. But it was like concept and initial thing. Uh, but then they just had a fucking litany of artists and other creators on this thing. Yeah, and because they liked the idea. To the point where this thing was popular enough that it's published by its own independent publisher. Even though it's technically, I think it's distributed by DC. Because there was a crossover with DC a few years ago. Uh-huh. But... Granted, when I looked at that, it was a weird crossover with DC because it was in that unfortunate period where J. Michael Straczynski had that weird pantsuit Wonder Woman was in. Uh-huh. But not a bad story. And talk about a varied cast. I guess you'd have to be with 99 different superheroes. But you have, like, Chinese Muslims. You have disabled Muslims who are white and, and from every possible nationality, body type, age group. Yeah, looking at and, looking at the list of some of the ninety nine, uh, we got people from South Africa, Yemen, Malaysia, India, Libya, Pakistan, Indonesia, the United States, Portugal, Hungary, United Bar- United Arab Emirates, and Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Okay, and so it's weird that one of the one of the villains on this kind of looks like the Mandarin because uh, the premise of the ninety nine is that each of these superheroes was a person who was endowed with one of these 99 stones 
which I, I cannot remember the name of it for the life of me. It's a weird term. And the newer probably, gemstones? Yeah, the, the Nura, I think, is how, I think is how you say it, but I'm not certain. But these people don't work together all that well. They're run by this, prof- this kind of... Uh, he kind of reminds me of Dr. Quest, actually, because, <laughs> like, he, he's a super... He's a brilliant billionaire scientist and such, but he's, like, respected by the community and seen as a, like, a worthy father figure by all of them, even if they don't agree with each other. And he, and he like, runs it as, like, his own, like, special ops, like, superhero slash mission helping thing. Uh-huh. So, you know, pretty typical superhero stuff. It's just... I have to read more of it to understand it because the idea seems to be that each of the stones represents a precept of Islam that each character is both supposed to embody or like work towards as a character arc, which is a brilliantly fascinating concept for serialized comic book storytelling. But one issue is not enough to get a sense of it. (laughs) (laughs) Like you see my problem here where like I tried to, I've read, I have to read an issue to get a sense if I want to keep reading it. But having read this one issue, I'm like, I am so not prepared to talk about this beyond like broad strokes. Oh yeah. I totally get that. This, this is a, we mentioned, we mentioned the series like this earlier. This shit dense. Yes, very, very dense. But, you know, the artwork's awesome. Like, I could... Even in, like, the special, like, side issue I read as, like, a starting point just to get a sense of where it is. And, like, also the the beginnings of it is actually a- available for free if you want to read it. So, and I, I would actually... On Comixology, at least for me. I don't know if it is for Comixology Canada. I hope so, because it's not, like, linked to Unlimited. But, uh... I think you, I think I would like your opinion on this dead man, because this is like a mainstream superhero thing that is not from one of the two big companies or one of the well-known indie companies. So I would kind of like your opinion on it. Okay. But I would recommend it at least to get your, I would recommend you looking at it to get a sense of if you want to keep reading it. Uh, I cannot find anything that says this is free. For anybody, in, free to begin at least. Okay, okay. Uh, let me bring up the issue I'm looking at and see if it uh, comes up for you or not. Uh, come on. It, anyway, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, Naif al is the artist along with... Okay, I guess this is the guy he collaborated with for the initial issue, Stuart Moore, who has done a lot of stuff with DC and Marvel. And the art, uh, what is this guy? Uh, by June Brigman and Roy Richardson, who I don't recognize, but the cover, they do the interiors and the cover. But uh, uh, yeah, June Brigman has done stuff both for DC and Marvel, like in like minor capacities, nothing that okay, major. Okay, so so ninety nine, so the ninety nine beginnings, that's free. Okay, that's what I was talking about. Okay, yeah, I was uh, looking at I was looking at the ninety nine issue one. Yeah, I noticed that. I think the beginnings is like kind of like an, the their equivalent of an issue zero. Uh, looks like it. Yeah, because they both came out. Uh, wait, no, that was sorry, that was that was digital release. Uh, they, they both went up on the same day on Comicsology, but yeah. But yeah, uh, June Brigman and uh, the other guy are both both seem to be like. Uh, Decently interesting artist, not, not nothing like spectacular, but you know, confident. 
Yeah. All right, so Deadman, your last book? All right, let's talk about Runaways again. <laughs> Are you happy or sad? Very happy. Okay. Is this the rebooted uh, Runaways book that I was looking at? Or uh, yes, this, this is the new Runaways book uh, by... Uh, let me look up their names again, because I always forget the fucking names. Rainbow Rowell and Chris Anka. Okay. Yeah, Rainbow Rowell is the artist... I mean, writer, Chris Anka is artist. They both really understand these fucking characters. And it is really fucking good. Uh, so, um, again, for those who don't know, Runaways was a team book, was a superhero book written back in the early aughts uh, by Brian K. Vaughn. They're my favorite superhero team ever. They got shafted in their later years. And all of them eventually disappeared before coming back in a brand new Runaways book, uh, which the whole premise of is they're getting the band back together or trying to. Because the band has all because the band has broken up and have gone on to lead relatively stable lives outside of our main two. Which in this case are Nico and Chase. Nico living in a dirt ass apartment, can't even fucking turn on her stove. Chase has some problems. Eventually resolving to fix those problems by going back in time and saving his dead girlfriend from being murdered. Which he does. And she's like, hey, let's get the band back together. And they go out searching for what the fuck happened. Uh, Victor Mancha, the cyborg of the team, is a head. Just a head. That Chase carries around in a backpack like a skateboard. Uh, Carolina Dean is at college. Trying to live a normal life. Trying to be happy. Not wanting to get sucked back into this bullshit. And then in the most recent issue, issue four, uh, we get to see what Molly's doing. And she's hanging out with her grandma. Who may or may not be evil. Not 100% sure on that yet. Because so far in every issue at the end... Uh, we get a cutaway or something to somebody who is spying on the team through cats. They're like sitting in a basement, petting a cat. The cat is like glowing purple eyes or something. And then another one had um, them walking up the stairs, walking up the stairs from their basement layer with Molly calling them or something. And we actually get to meet the grandma in this issue. And she seems nice. She has way too many interesting-looking cats to not be evil, I think. Okay. Like, she has one that just has, like, a, like, crescent moon-shaped fucking, like, white patch on the face right around the eye. Which, like, if you have that, if you have that and you're young, you're a superhero. If you have that and you're old, you're a villain. I think that's how that works. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's how that works. Uh, but yeah, so Gertrude, uh, Gert, uh, the, uh, as as it is, she has been very much disillusioned by what she's been seeing. Like like when when they were Runaways, when they were the Runaways, uh, which was to her, which to her was like a couple days ago. They were all fucking ride or die. 
they were they were like, hey, we'd rather be dead than eighteen, and we'd rather be alive than we'd rather be free than with parents or something. Just basically, they were for themselves out there doing what they could, trying to make the world a better place, but not getting, but not getting, but not being a part of your system, man. And then all of a sudden, Nico and Chase are both like in their fucking twenties or something. Carolina is in college, and they all don't seem to want to go out and live in and live underneath a tar pit inside their giant robot frog. Weird, right? But yeah, so with this issue, uh, we also we also start uh, kind of like one of the things that's been set up is that so in the original series, or at least there was a run of the series when they introduced Victor Mancha, they introduced him by having a Ger- a version of Gertrude from the future come back in time and tell them that hey, you need to go find Victor Mancha and deal with him because he is going to turn into a supervillain who will kill everybody. And so over these issues, Chase has been like tinkering with uh, Victor's head, trying to get him working again. And in the last issue, when he when he set the head down, the head kind of rebooted and began re and began running the Victorious program, I believe it was called, which is which was a superhero name back in the in the future before he killed everybody. And so okay. in this issue, uh, we see that he is conscious. Fully awake and like aware of what's happening around him, but is pretending to not be for reasons we don't know yet. Molly figured it out because Molly is amazing and adorable. Yeah, I, we still haven't gotten a read on him or what's going to be happening with that. It All we know is that kind of going forward, Molly is going to be using Victor's head to practice doing hair and makeup. Which is just great. I fucking missed this kid. Sounds like a Molly thing. She is so fucking cute, man. She is great. And it, and her being here makes me hate Battle of the Atom even more. <laughs> Which is where a future version of Molly showed up and she was all like fucking grown up and buff and hot and weird and it creeped me out. Where you're like, dude, no, like, girl, no, I saw you a few weeks ago where you were like, like the most adorable little thing. No, this confuses me in so many ways. This is it wrong. This is <laughs> fucked up. I don't like looking at this. <laughs> Just, ugh. Just instant vile repulsion. My childhood's been violated. <laughs> no, it isn't even that. It's like her childhood was violated. Yes, but... You 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 kind of act like a little. You kind of talk like a little kid in love with his first genre thing. Whenever you talk about the Runaways, so for me, it's also you, <laughs> yours was kind of violated too. Fair. <laughs> Am I wrong? Well, I don't think so. Like I, I read the run. I started reading the Runaways when I was like sixteen. And mentally, my mindset hasn't changed from then. Yeah, fair enough. I've just gotten sadder. (laughs) So it's kind of hard for me to think back of being in high school as my childhood. Yeah, 
Fair enough. Hmm. But yeah, I. But hey, maybe if this since this book is so good, it'll make you watch the TV series. Ah, <laughs> uh, fuck you. <laughs> I do not want I, to support like to... that show in any capacity. I technically support it in that I still have a Hulu subscription, but I use that for other things. Yeah, yeah, I. The way I would go about watching that show, it would not directly support it. Okay. Anyway, um... But I don't want to even indirectly support it by talking about it too much. Okay. I mean, well, at worst, what it kind of reminds me of, based on the critic critic reviews I've heard, is that it's kind of like uh, Power Rangers 2017. Both in the sense that it's not as terrible as maybe it could have been, but it's still not good. But at the same time, because it was made, it led to something much more awesome as a side thing. Okay, what's that? I'm pretty sure the reason Boom Studios picked up the license for Power Rangers is because of the movie. <laughs> and the way you're talking, I think this this comic series was rebooted as a tie-in to because that's what Marvel's all about now is tie-ins to their ex, their multimedia property stuff. So I think they probably made a OG. Runaways book to tie into the series, or at least as a spinoff of it. I hope not. <laughs> I like genuinely hope not. <laughs> if that's the case, like I don't know if my soul can take it. It's kind of everything about that series has been just, again, like vile repulsion. Repulsion or revulsion? Revulsion. Okay. Like, even down to character design, I'd think they failed. Well, sure. I mean, they made Molly a uh, 20-something Hispanic girl. <laughs> Anybody listening, the Hispanic part is not what I have a problem with. It's the 20-something part. Yes, they made a 10-year-old girl into a 20-something because they did want to try to get a child actor, I guess. No, they did it so that it wouldn't be weird when Molly fucks. (sighs) That is what all these decisions are. These decisions are the decisions they make to make everybody who was like different and not in the same demographic as as the other main characters. They bring those characters, they bring those guys to the fucking same demographic so that when they fuck, it's not weird. Even if they never end up fucking, the potential is there. That's the reason Ted Cord was a 20 that no that's sorry, that's the reason fucking Ted Grant the motherfucking wildcat that was the name, Ted Grant. Uh, yeah, Wildcat was a Ted Grant. Yeah. So the this is along the same lines as when they made uh, like I like to call him Twilight version of uh, Lobo. Yeah, this it. Well, well, no, actually, no. So the Twilight version of Lobo, I have no idea. Somebody was on cocaine when that happened. <laughs> In terms of TV adaptations, 
everybody has to be within the within the same five year window of age, so that when they fuck, it's not weird. Like in Arrow, when Ted Grant went from being a fucking Vietnam War vet who comes out of retirement to beat people up because the youngins ain't doing it right, to being a 20-something, so that people will think Laurel might fuck him. That's why they did it. They do this to increase the potential fuckability of every single character in the cast, no matter who ends up fucking that way, Tumblr can ship whoever they whoever the hell they want. They are doing this for the fanfic writers. Okay. I find that most of the time when you write for the fanfic type people, it tends to not make much sense. Kind of like how Star Wars The Last Jedi managed to try to do something original and different with the franchise and the fanboys collectively went, yeah. I kind of feel offended by that. Cause I didn't really like last Jedi. but I'm yeah, not, a, but I'm like, a star Wars fanboy. Yeah. Like you're not one of the guys who's complaining that like Snoke was not secretly like some version of Darth Revan or that Ray's parents were not like, Tied to the Skywalker mythos or stuff. Okay. No, I'm the guy complaining that Snoke was built up so goddamn much for him to get taken out like a fucking punk bitch. Yeah, no, that's what you're talking about, like problems with the structure of the narrative, not like how it ties into the Star Wars mythos. No, I'm going to fuck about that. I'm not talking about that. I have problems with the movie, but my problems with the movie are structural and character wise, not what I wish had happened based on my own Star Wars fandom. Okay? Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I get where you're coming from. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Read the runaways. Fuck the runaways. Yep. Anyway. I think that does for what we're reading, then. Yeah, I guess so. All right, then. Got on a to weird news. note to go out on. <laughs> yep. So, news-wise. Uh, so, Gail Simone has has been set to write a, quote, risque hardcore action series for Marvel Comics starring Domino. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, hardcore so, in the sense that like it's going to be like a porno or just like ultra violent. I'm assuming violent. Cuz I don't think even Marvel would release an actual porn for their one of their characters. Okay, I assume they're doing this because of the R-rated Domino stuff that they now own. Uh I no, I'm pretty sure they're doing this because Deadpool 2 is going to be featuring Domino. That's what I meant. Like oh, okay. they Marvel did not own the Deadpool franchise, which is R-rated until now. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah I, guess they, I guess that's true. <laughs> <laughs> they got sick of 21st Century Fox's shit and just bought them. Yeah, that's terrifying to me, kind of. 
Yeah, to quote everyone who's reacted to that decision, like, yes, thank you, but that company's a monster now. <laughs> yeah, it's going to get to the point where pretty soon every network will be Disney. We, I think I think we work for Marvel or Disney at this point. Do we? I, I don't think so. I don't think we're important enough to work for Disney. <laughs> yeah, I don't think any aspect of what we do is important enough to be bought by Disney. Which is unfortunate because Disney, if you were to say buy SoundCloud, then they'd be then they would be able to start adhering to North American copyright law, i.e. fair use. And also they would have capital so that their future was not some horrible fucking quantum nightmare where potentially they could be shut down at any second. Just saying. There's a lot of rappers on SoundCloud who would really appreciate it. Yeah, probably. Also, you know, we would appreciate it because moving our close to 1,000 tracks from SoundCloud to somewhere else is going to be a nightmare. Yep. Especially considering that the auto-import feature on a lot of other podcast hosts goes over the RSS feed and the RSS feed on SoundCloud only, only fucking archives 250 of our tracks. We have 921. So anyway, the solicitation for the new series reads, Marvel Soldier of Fortune has found herself on the wrong side of the Marvel Universe Merc community. Gag me with a fucking spoon already. Hunted by enemies, a danger to her friends, and chased by the one man who hates her more than anything in the world, Domino must fight for her life against her biggest threat. Herself. My favorite character is always the unpredictable ones. And with Domino, we you literally never know which which way the dice are going to roll, says series writer Gail Simone. I love her, and I can't wait to show her best bad side. Domino will continue to be one of the breakout stars of Weapon X, but fans have been clamoring... F- but fans have been clamoring to see her get the spotlight for some time now. Well, your wish has been granted, says series editor Chris Robinson. So, yeah. Uh, the series will be the series will begin. Uh, well, series will begin a uh, publication on April eleventh. Written by Gail Simone, uh, with the cover by Frank Darm uh, Frank Darmada and Greg Land. <laughs> we can't escape him. <laughs> but no word has been given on who the artist for the interiors will be. Okay. So, yeah, there's still hope that it won't be Greg Land. Yeah. So what do you think his cover will be? Bad tracing or terrible 90s art? Uh, well, you can actually see his cover. I'll send you the image. Okay. It'll take a second because Discord occasionally hates me. But yeah. While we're waiting for that to load, let's move on to the next story. A very 2017 story. So the Daily Mail, you know, reputable website of some renown, I think. Uh, So the Daily Mail is reporting in a quote-unquote exclusive story that multiple nurses uh, have accused Marvel comic writer and fucking whatever big dick comic man Stan Lee 
of groping them and demanding oral sex in the shower from them. Uh, you know, happy new year. I'm beginning to understand why the women in Hollywood changed the, the anti-sexual harassment, um, movement from the me too movement to the times up movement. Hmm. So, yeah. I don't like how prolific it is any more than you, but it, this is just going to keep happening, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. And so I'll say this with all the stories that came out over the last year, it's good the stories are coming out. Yeah. Because this shit can't keep happening. No, particularly it, not on this scale this number of times it needs to stop. And the women coming forward, they're making it easier for this shit to stop. Yeah. By them coming forward, it encourages other women to come forward because they know they won't be alone in this. And the public's reaction to it so far has been positive. Mostly, mostly positive, largely positive. Like they're, they're like, yeah, there are still fucking pockets of nightmare. Yeah. Where this shit, where this shit is still being like fucking tried to be sucked under the rug or like brushed aside, but the louder side of things and like the more popular side of things is very much like, yes, we support you people come out. You will be protected and believed. Yeah. But at the same time, at this constant rate, it is just, oh God. Actually, Deadman, um, this is going to sound weird given the topic we're talking about, but I have an idea for a riff we should do on this topic. Okay. Have you heard of a movie called Colossal? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. See what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Okay. So It'd coming be soon. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, and it seems to be uh, the domino. Greg Land's uh, domino issue seems to be bad tracing, like the stuff he did for Ultimate Marvel. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, with the story. So, yes, multiple nurses um, have come forward um, accusing um, Stan, accusing Stanley of uh, sexually assaulting and harassing the nurses caring for him in his home. Uh, he's repeatedly, apparently, groped young women as well as uh, grew up with the nurses who were helping him, as well as, you know, asking for oral sex while he was in the shower, walking around naked. Just, like, the regular horrible, disgusting shit you hear about every fucking person. Yep. Yeah, so uh, the nursing company that employs these women, uh, they are currently in a legal dispute with Lee. Um, No police complaint has been officially filed. No lawsuit has been filed. And um, a lo- a lawyer for t- or for um, Stanley, uh, Mr. Tom Lawless. That's L A L L A S. Don't even pronounce it, but all I can think is it pr- it's pronounced Lawless because because irony doesn't exist or is in full force. I don't know. But yeah, so his lawyer has said that. Uh, has sent a cease and desist letter to the company that employs these women, that employs these nurses, um, accusing it of defaming Stanley uh, and saying that this whole thing is a shakedown 
and that Mr. Lee, quote, Mr. Lee will not be extorted or blackmailed and will pay no money to anyone because he has not because he has done absolutely nothing wrong. Yeah, well, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. Let all for acquaintance be forgot. I... So yeah, we will... I will keep an eye on this going forward. But yeah, this... Mm. Mm. Yeah, let's let's not stop. Let's stop talking about this. <laughs> yes, let's please. And I guess yeah, that's that'll be it for the show this week. Thank y'all for joining us. Whew. So things are spinning back up in terms of podcast production uh, for. Us. We'll be back in two weeks' time with an episode of the DustDoorProds.com comic book podcast. In between now and then, though, all the other podcasts will be returning. Uh, we'll probably have some fucking riffs coming out now. Other stuff happening we soon. Plans. We have plans. <laughs> we have plans for things happening. But until all that stuff, I'm dead. And I'm a much happier Bernie, all things considered. Happy New Year, everybody. We will see you guys next time. Hope for a better future. <laughs>